I want to tell you something, and that is operating a food company has been one of the most challenging endeavors of my life. From innovating products that we want to land at the intersection of taste and nutrition, to wrestling with supply chain issues and managing inventory, I have had more sleepless nights in the past three years than I have in the last 30, including the 12 when I was a firefighter. But no one tells you that food is hard. But I also want to say it's because of each of you that we continue to get in the trenches day after day after day. It's in our core values to keep at it, knowing that we are filling a giant void in the market with products that you can't find anywhere else. And this makes it easier for us to climb out of bed each day. I want to thank you for your patience. We are anxiously awaiting the return of our organic pancake and waffle mixes. And we're excited to announce that our Plant Strong milks will be available online later this week, followed soon thereafter by the return of our exciting new burger mixes. Our goal is to be your reliable and trustworthy partner for all things Plant Strong, allowing you to stock up on healthy meals that you can make and enjoy in minutes while still managing your busy lives. I appreciate each and every one of you and want you to know that the effort will be worth it once more brands start to care about the integrity of the nutrition that they're putting into their products. Thank you so much for your support and please stay tuned for exciting updates at planstrong.com. Hey, PlantStrong family. It is officially soup season, which means it is hot in our house, especially around the stove top, because we love, especially as we head into the weekends, cooking up some sort of a stew or chili or soup. I've been recently making a corn chowder, a sweet potato corn chowder, in fact, using our sweet corn broth as the base. And I'm telling you right now, our family could eat it every day for the rest of 2022. It is that good. Um, in case you guys didn't know it, we have four unsalted, organic, no added sugar, no added oil, plant-strong culinary broths that have the best distinct flavors that can elevate each and every one of your favorite recipes. For example, my wife, Jill, loves using our Spanish-style sofrito broth. It's got all these great aromatics of onions and garlic, roasted peppers as the base for a chili recipe that she's been making. And it really gives like nuance to each and every bowl. So if you guys love broths as much as I do, you can pick up a sampler pack at plantstrongfoods.com today. I felt like I was flawed and that my body was ugly and that I, I was a failure. Like there was times where I was suicidal when I was younger, mostly because of my body. And I think that's the biggest waste. And that's why I'm so passionate about this because I don't want another child to feel like the purpose of their life is to be a certain size. People have so many talents. They have so much to give to the world. They have so much light and energy. I don't want them to be spending all that time counting calories or trying to get their bodies a certain size. I'm Rip Esselstyn and welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. The mission at Plant Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plant Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. Hello, Plant Strong Pumpkins. And I use the term pumpkins because fall is definitely in the air. Halloween is right around the corner. 
and school is officially in full swing. I mean, there are so many activities going on right now between swim practice, gymnastics, piano, tennis. It just goes on and on and on. It is officially nutso here at the Esselstyn household, and we are finding ourselves shoveling back meals like without even thinking about it. We are constantly pressed for time. And the truth of the matter is we are occasionally prioritizing convenience over health. And I get it. I think that you all get it as well, which is why I know that you are going to love this conversation with board-certified pediatrician, lifestyle medicine physician, health coach, and mother of two, Dr. Yami. Her work and her private practice center on how we as families can start to integrate more whole plant-based foods into our diets and how we can adopt other healthy lifestyle habits, even when we're moving a million miles a minute. We talk all about body shaming. We talk about how to get your kids to eat whole food plant-based without forcing it down their throats and allowing them to follow their kind of intuitive eating clues. I found this to be really a, a very riveting conversation that passed by in the blink of an eye. So parents, you are absolutely going to eat this conversation up. I want you to know, even if you don't have children and you're not a parent, I think you're going to love some of the advice that Dr. Yami gives, especially around being a picky eater. I want you to know that, you know, many of us, we can't control what our bodies look like, but what we can control is how we view them. And Dr. Yami's work is all about us instilling healthy, sustainable habits that start an ongoing conversation with our family members and allowing us all to get healthier together. Okay, I loved this conversation. I know you will too. Let's welcome Dr. Yami. Hey, Dr. Yami, how you doing today? Hi, Rip. I'm great. It's such a pleasure to be here. I'm super excited. Yeah. Well, it's exciting for me too. And it's funny, I've heard a lot about you uh, as of late. Jane and Ann were recently on your podcast yes. for their new book, Be a Plant-Based Woman Warrior. Did you have fun with them? I always have so much fun. It's the first time I've inter interviewed your mother, but I've had your sister Jane a couple of times and also on my YouTube channel. And it's always a riot. She's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. They are. They are a riot. Now, so your full name is Dr. Yami Kazorla Lancaster. Did I pronounce all that right? Yeah. And actually, it's not my full, full name. My oh. full name is Jamilet Rosina. Casorla Lancaster, oh but I go, I just go by Dr. Yami. <laughs> wow. Well, we'll, we'll do that then. Okay. We'll keep things a little simple here today. Um, now where, where do you hail from right now? Where, where am I talking to you from? I am currently in Yakima, Washington, which is central Washington. I live in a small town about two and a half hours east of Seattle. And how long you been there? 13 years. Is it beautiful there? Oh my goodness. So I grew up, I'm originally from Panama and I grew up in Texas and I don't know, you know, you're in Texas. You've probably seen Texans where Texans, there's a lot of Texans that are like diehard Texans. If you grew up in Texas, you're loyal to Texas. And that was our plan after residency, we we're going to go back to Texas, but we discovered the Pacific Northwest and fell in love and now we're transplants, but it is just so beautiful here. It's a gem. And I feel like it's one of those hidden secrets of our country because it's just so beautiful. And my family and I, we love outdoor activities. So it's perfect for hiking and mountain biking and snowshoeing and skiing and all the things, all the outdoor things. And it's just, you just feel so lucky to live in this part of the country. So I think we're here to stay for at least a while. Yeah. I'm very envious of you guys, especially when I'm here in the summers and we have 114 degree, degree days. Mm. Yeah. You have two two boys, right? Yes. Almost 13 and 17 years old. Wow. Wow. Um, well, God, I can't wait to dive in. So tell me a little bit about 
um, your certificates, your medical degree, things like that? <laughs> well, I am a board certified pediatrician, first of all, and that's first and foremost what I do. I own my own practice here in Yakima. So I practice primary care pediatrics. And I say that I practice primary care pediatrics with an emphasis on lifestyle medicine. So I'm also board certified in lifestyle medicine through the American Board of Lifestyle Medicine. When did you get that? 2019. So right before the pandemic. And then I also am national board certified health and wellness coach as well. And I've been coaching for a few years as well. And I am a certified food for life instructor through the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, which I taught classes for many years. And I'm going to start teaching again in the spring. And I have the plant-based certificate and I mean, I have all the things, but really what I do is I, I spend a lot of time talking about how we as parents and families can just integrate more whole plant foods into our diets and the diets of our, of our families. And I, I like to try to keep it simple with an emphasis on all the positive benefits that we can get from eating more whole plant foods, but also the other lifestyle habits, which they're very important as well. We know that we can't just, it can't just be in isolation. We have to make sure we're sleeping adequately and moving our bodies and managing stress and all of those things. But talking about plants is my favorite. Well, I want to talk about a, a lot of that. And I want to talk about how you specifically talk to parents talk to kids mm -hmm. because I think it's a real art form and um, and something that is really needed especially in a culture that um, there is a and I think you use this in your TED talk but there's a major you know kind of uh, cognitive dissonance right now with a lot of people around this lifestyle so there's a lot of barriers to overcome and you wrote I mean you wrote a book intuitive eating you know, and how to raise kids who love to eat healthy. When did you write that book? That was also published in 2019. Wow. <laughs> so a lot of things happened in 2019. But yeah, Parents Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. And the reason I took that approach is because I feel like there is lots of information about how we should all be eating more fruits and vegetables and eating more plant-based foods, but where parents struggle is how to do that. And because as a society, especially now, parents are pretty anxious about making sure that they're doing a good job, that anxiety and that stress of feeding our kids perfectly can actually lead us to make choices and have behaviors that backfire, ironically. And, and it makes it more stressful and less fun for everybody. So I felt like I needed to write a book to help parents, especially parents that are raising their children plant-based, have more fun and experience more joy in feeding themselves and their children. Yeah. I, I, I can't wait to dive into some of that. Before we do, I think it's important that people hear a little bit about your personal journey. Mm -hmm. I, I, again, I mean, I'm not going to tell it, but I just want to say that in listening to your TED talk that took about 19 minutes, it was very informative as far as your, your background. So will you let everybody know why you're not an animal lover <laughs> or <laughs> maybe, maybe you've become an animal lover, but why growing up and, and why your foray into this lifestyle wasn't for the animals. Yes. So the reason I emphasize that in my TED talk is because I feel like there's this perception that in order to eat a plant-based diet or in order to even identify as vegan, you have to be this person that has the I break for squirrels bumper sticker and I save whales bumper sticker. But the truth is, is you don't have to identify as a diehard animal lover that has their own rescue in their backyard in order to see the logic behind eating more plants and eating less animals. And I grew up and my family to this day in Panama are still dairy farmers. So have a pretty large dairy farm in Panama. And so I grew up around animals and I grew up with the belief, very strong ingrained belief that we must eat animals. We must drink milk. If we don't do those things, bad things are going to happen to our health, especially with my culture, you know, being Panamanian. I think growing up, there was a lot of like, you stay at the table 
until you finish everything. You must drink your milk several times a day. This is for your health. And so I had that mentality. And then when I went to medical school and residency, I, you know, I, it was reinforced, especially for pediatrics. For pediatrics, basically, we were taught children after one, two to three glasses of milk, teen girls, lots of milk. You know, you have to drink that milk in order to have healthy bones and otherwise bad things are going to happen. And what we learned in my one hour nutrition class was more the problems with deficiencies that can happen if you don't eat animal products. And so if someone's vegetarian or vegan, you you're afraid of these things happening. So it was more taught to us that it's something to fear, something that's weird, something that shouldn't be done. It's risky. And I started doing long distance running or doing some half marathons. And ever since medical school anatomy lab, I've suffered from plantar fasciitis and it kind of went away. And then it came back when I started running and I was just looking for different solutions because I had fallen in love with running. And I started reading a book called Born to Run. And in that book, which really the premise is about barefoot running, but one of the main characters in the book is Scott Jurek and then the Tara Umada Indians in Mexico who are predominantly plant-based or were at the time, especially in the past, maybe not so much now. And when I started seeing that, okay, there's a vegan ultra athlete and there are these people where their whole culture you know, revolves around running and they eat mostly plants and they do these athletic feats that you know, you need a lot of energy for, and it doesn't seem like they're dying off in malnutrition. So that's where the cognitive dissonance really hit me. Like, wait a second, there's there's something here that I must have missed somewhere. And that's when I became inspired to just try it. I wanted to see what it would feel like to just eat plants for 30 days. I really had no agenda behind it. I didn't predict anything was going to happen. I wasn't hoping anything specific was going to happen. I was just genuinely curious. But it just blew my mind because within three days, my constipation, which I was 100% sure was genetic because everybody in my family had it. And I was on Miralax as an adult every day. So were my children, by the way. Within three days, it was gone. Well, you know, I've had a lot of people that say they've been diagnosed with lazy bowel syndrome, <laughs> right? which is basically, yeah, you're eating the standard American diet. That's what it is. Yeah. I, I, I want to stop you for a sec because you just started talking about the Tarahumara um, and I want you to know that in 1995, I took a mountain biking trip down to Copper Canyon and, and went in and, and actually um, met the Tarahumara and saw them in their wonderful, you know, colorful uh, attire, jogging around. And it is absolutely for real. It's, it's like, it's like this, this culture that has like been caught in time and things have not, I mean, there's, they were still living in, in caves in the side of the mountain and walking down to get their water from, from the river. And I loved that book, right? Born to Run by Christopher McDougall. I actually went and uh, saw him at a book signing here in Austin, Texas, probably in 2011, 2012, and just ate it all up. And I fell in love with Scott Jurek and, you know, I've become friends with Scott, but yes. So what a great, a great way for you to get inspired with this lifestyle. Yeah. And for you. I, I even wore the five fingers for a long time to, to <laughs> yeah. clinic and stuff. So <laughs> I tried it out. Ultimately, it wasn't the best thing to be barefoot for me, but but it was cool. It was cool. But yeah, I mean, that's it, it was so inspirational. And that's when I was like, you know, I need to try this. And I tried it and I felt great. And I was pooping, which is amazing. I love to poop whenever you spent like three decades not pooping. Like sometimes it's only once a week. I mean, that's not normal. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, and well, what's your, what's your definition of a super pooper? <laughs> super pooper. Uh, I would say more than three times a day. I don't know. At least I I'm definitely a super pooper. I'm proud, you know, card carrying super pooper. So good. good. So, so yeah. And then by the end of that month, I had already seen all the documentaries, read the books. I was not going back by the end of that month. And then I just took another month to 
read the literature that was available to me about children, whether it was safe. And then I was like, okay, not only is this safe, but there's actually benefits to this. Where was all this information before? You know, it was there, but it just, it wasn't available to me. It wasn't taught to me. I didn't know about it. And that's when I changed over the entire household and it's been over 11 years now. Mm. And so you you said your kids are 13 and 17, if yes. I'm correctly, yes. remember correctly. Gotcha. So they were, so they were, I mean, they were very, very young. And did you, when you decided to jump in, did your husband and your two kids join you as well? Yeah. So my kids were 18 months and six years old at the time. And because I am the primary meal maker and grocery shopper, there were no complaints from them. I just changed everything over. I'm a good cook too. I think that really helps because everything was great. You know, I, I was experimenting with all this stuff and I had so much fun. In fact, I feel like I became an even better cook after I went plant-based because I had less fear. I didn't, I wasn't afraid that there was going to be E. coli and salmonella on everything. I just, I had this feeling like, it's okay to mess up. And so I just experimented a lot and had so much fun. So the food was delicious. Now my husband, he's a very different personality from me. And so it took him longer to kind of get to this place on his own. At the beginning, he was still socially what I call like a social omnivore, you know, so vegan at home, but socially more omnivorous. But he's an avid athlete. So he loves mountain biking. He's into the hiking, the downhill skiing and all of that stuff. And he discovered over time that when he was eating meat, it would just make him feel more sluggish and he wasn't performing as well. So it just naturally over time, it just fell off because he, it didn't feel good in his body with his sports. Mm -hmm. All right. So, uh, so you got the whole family on board and at what point so you, you've got your, your, um, your pediatric practice going on, right? Yes. At that point I was working at a community health center, so I didn't have my own practice yet, but yes, I was working as a pediatrician. So what I'm, what I'm wondering is at what point did you decide, okay, this is not just going to stay internally with me and my kids and my husband, but I need to bring this, this truth and this light to my medical practice. So I'm sure I started talking about it right away because if there's something that is that important to me, I can't keep my mouth shut about it. I'm just like a, you know, information spreader. So I know I started talking about it right away, but my website, Veggie Fit Kids, I think I started around 2013. So that was probably a couple of years after we went plant-based. And the reason I started that was because I was spending so much time explaining to people in the office, okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make these recipes. It's super simple. It's not difficult. But then I also started hearing from some people that were saying that their their pediatricians and their healthcare providers were afraid that they were scared and they were telling them, no, you shouldn't do that, that that's not healthy for your child. And so I felt compelled to have a place where parents and caregivers and maybe even other medical providers can come and find more information so that they could feel more reassured that this was a safe thing to do for children. So once I started the website, I started doing YouTube videos and creating simple recipes. I'm definitely not a recipe creator, but creating simple recipes that are accessible to because where I live, there's a big underserved population as well. So financially, I didn't want to make these recipes that were like super complicated or really expensive to make. I wanted to make something that was accessible and easy for parents and something that they could get from their grocery store. What's interesting to me is that, for example, I've had cardiologists on the podcast and they have had to spend, in some cases, two years getting their head wrapped around this new lifestyle that they're now going to prescribe and push to their patients because it is such a conflict of interest yeah. with their salary, with their money, you know, all, all that. And as you said in your TED Talk and we talked about earlier, there's a huge cognitive dissonance. And um, wow, I mean, I can either prescribe a stent here or, you know, broccoli and, and, and Brussels sprouts and, uh, uh, and steel cut oats. Yeah. Well, I'll say that in general, 
And, you know, I have a lot of doctor friends. I'll say that in general, we went to med school because we truly want to help people. And it makes us feel very uncomfortable. And it makes us feel like we're failing when our patients aren't getting better. So what I've heard, what I've experienced myself and what I've experienced from other healthcare providers is once they find the plant-based nutrition, the lifestyle medicine, and people actually adopt it and start feeling better, it reinvigorates your passion for medicine. You're actually starting to feel like this is why I went to med school. What's difficult is whenever you practice with other people that still don't understand, they don't know the research, they're close-minded to it. That's where I think the biggest conflict is, is because you're sharing a practice with other providers. You're saying, hey, I'm not fond of dairy. I don't think it's doing you any favors. But this other provider saying, no, you still need to drink your milk. It's not safe to stop drinking milk. And that's why eventually I had to leave and start my own practice is because it was really uncomfortable. You know, I would see my partner's patients for sick visits and things like that. And I would see issues that I thought could be improved by getting off dairy and eating more plant foods. It was uncomfortable because I didn't want to step on toes. I didn't, you know, and this poor family is getting two completely different opinions and they're confused. And so that's really difficult as a physician. Yeah. You know, I think it's so, it's so heartwarming for me to hear that you had the the, the courage to follow your convictions, follow your heart and start your own practice. So you could be hundred percent pure with it. Going back to something you said a little earlier is, you know, as physicians, you become a doctor because you want to truly help people. But I mean, I would say that it seems to me that, and again, I'm generalizing here, but that the vast majority of physicians, unfortunately have fallen or, or they're, they're working with a paradigm currently that isn't allowing them to, to achieve the results, which are, what inspired them to get into medicine in the first place. Yes. So then they're, they're, they're in a system that's, that's very flawed. And so the fact that you were able to look outside that flawed system and reach out for one where food is medicine, right? Is I just, anyway, so let me, let, my next question for you is this. So you started your practice and are, are you being accepted by mothers and children in your community? How is your practice doing? Amazing. I'm telling you in the past 11 years, since I went plant-based, the world is changing for sure. Like at the beginning, when I would tell people, yeah, I don't want your kid to drink milk, or I would recommend decreasing or eliminating milk. Parents would look at me like I had a third eye, but, but now parents are like, yeah, you know, I I've realized I'm sensitive to dairy. I actually am not comfortable giving dairy to my child. It's a different world. Now I will say that my families are a little bit self-selected because I do run a practice that advertises that I care about nutrition and lifestyle medicine. So families that are already, that's something that they value are selecting to come to me. So there's some bias there, of course, but people, they're starting to get informed. And my families, when I give them the information, especially if I'm able to give them studies or references, they read it and they're like, you know what? This makes sense. I think I want to try this for my family. And of course, the other thing is that in a decade, there has been an explosion in products that make it much easier for families to adopt a plant-based lifestyle. I mean, there's over 20 commercially available plant milks. So if you don't like one, try a different one, you know? Yeah. So how, like you said that you were running a little late to the podcast because you were seeing some patients. What's the, what's the typical time that you spend with a patient? Well, all, all of my well child checks are 30 minutes long. And so we're usually in there the whole time. And of course, if a kid's doing great and there's not much to talk about, we don't need to spend the whole time. But these were new patients that need a little bit more time and had some issues that we needed to discuss. So that's what I pride myself in my practice is that I do set aside time to make sure that families feel heard, that I answer all their questions. And we have time to talk about nutrition and lifestyle, because ultimately what it comes down to, the biggest gift that we can give our children is these lifestyle habits and behaviors. It's not going to be the medication or the referral. It's going to be these behaviors that they're going to take with them to college and beyond. And 
do you have any anyone in your practice that helps these patients like start out the lifestyle like take the first steps not really i mean we're a very tiny practice it's just me my office manager slash ma and i just hired a physician assistant so we're i don't have a bunch of ancillary staff or dietitians or doing any of those things. It's just really me answering all the questions, but I have tons of resources. So of course I have hundreds of podcast episodes, all the freebies on my website and all the different resources I can send families to so that they feel comfortable taking that first step. And then I'm available to my families by phone pretty much 24 seven. So they can call me on my cell phone evenings, weekends, and all those kinds of things. So we have very close intimate relationships in my practice so that I can hold their hand through these transitions. Nice. Um, intuitive eating. So what does that mean? I think I know what it means, but I have not read your book. I apologize. And so I'd love to know what that is. Okay. So <laughs> intuitive eating is a term that was coined by two dietitians in the late 80s, early 90s, Elise Resch and Evelyn Triboli. And they have the book, Intuitive Eating. It's an it's fifth edition now that they wrote that talks all about the principles of intuitive eating. The reason that they even developed this is because they were seeing in their practice a lot of people that were struggling with disordered eating and just really attached to this external reasons to eat. Like I have to be on this meal plan or I have to count these calories and, and all of this. And so they develop these principles to guide people back to tuning into their bodies and rejecting diet culture and all of that. So I, I took these principles and I, what I tried to do is simplify it down for parents, because what happens with parents, as I said earlier, is we get stressed because we start making assumptions once our kids, especially toddlerhood, preschool age, they just don't need to eat as much. They start leaving food on their plates. They start rejecting food because they go through this period of neophobia and parents start to try to get their child to eat more. So I want to help parents remember that children are born intuitive eaters. That means that they know when to eat, they know when to stop, they're able to tune into their hunger and their satiety. So I'm trying to help parents learn how to honor that, honor hunger and satiety, and but still be the gatekeepers of the nutrition of the household, of what you're going to buy, what you're going to prepare, what you're going to offer. So I simplified those principles down so that parents can understand that it's okay to support and encourage intuitive eating in your children so that it, it's a skill that remains with them for a lifetime. Because right now with the current way that we raise children when it comes to eating, we're teaching intuitive eating out of children by the time they're around five or six years old. That is really interesting. I know that with our kids, you know, for, I think for the most part, we've applied those principles but I know there's times when, like with my youngest, who's eight years old, we've, you know, we've, we've said here, you, you cannot leave this table until you at least take a bite of, you know, this, or, you know, have more of this, because we know in half an hour, she's going to want to have a little bowl of something right. And before she goes to bed. And so, you know, I know that you, you did a, um, I think it was a blog post or something recently where you mentioned that, you know, one of the things that you do not do anymore as a pediatrician is force a child to eat at mealtime. And I think that's really interesting. Can you, can you explain on that? Yeah. Uh, let me just validate your rip because seriously, this is, is very common. And that's, like I said, 85% of parents try to get their child to eat more. So you are in the majority. This is really common. And it's something we also learn from our parents and our grandparents. So it's been passed down for a long time. But what happens is whenever we either encourage or bribe or cajole a child to eat more, we are conveying to them that we don't trust their appetite signals. And the research shows that whenever we force a child or encourage a child to eat more, 
it actually does the opposite. It causes them to eat less and less variety of fruits and vegetables. And I think the reason is because some children become anxious. So then they know when they go to the table, no matter what they say, they're going to be forced to eat something that either they don't want or they're not hungry for. And so it probably causes them to pull back now, the opposite is also true for parents that are concerned that their child might be eating too much or has a larger body size. When they restrict foods, it also backfires. And the child, guess what? They become more obsessed with food, start to try sneak foods. You see wrappers everywhere, those kinds of things. So both methods backfire and do the opposite of what we intend. <laughs> so, so you just trust your child. Don't make a big deal of it and um, let them do their thing. And as parents, I think as, as long as we are serving our kids healthy, nutritious foods, and for me and you, that means whole plant-based foods, we'll, 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 uh, we'll be in a good place. Yes. But we do want to take an authoritative parenting practice and create a flexible structure with loving boundaries. So that means that if your child comes to the table and they're like, I'm not hungry, I don't want to eat, but then they get up and they go to the pantry and get two granola bars, that's not the structure. That's that's not working for you, right? So we have to have our meal times and our snack times. For most children, especially young children, they need to eat about every two to three hours. With older children, maybe every four or five hours. But you, it's okay to have breakfast, lunch, dinner, a couple of snacks in between, and maybe even a bedtime snack, depending on what time y'all eat dinner and what time the, the child goes to bed. So what I tell parents is you don't want it to turn into this all day grazing session because that doesn't support healthy eating either. Because if they're just snacking all day, by the time they get to the table, they're definitely not going to be hungry, right? And so they're not going to be hungry for that meal that you prepared. So if a child doesn't eat at dinner, that's fine. You don't force them. They're not hungry, but their next eating opportunity is going to be at a set time. Now it's going to be flexible because of course life, right? So may not be exactly at, you know, 6.30 PM or whatever, but it's around a certain time. That's going to be their next eating opportunity. And for children that may not be hungry at dinner, you can always say, that's fine. We will save this meal. And then if you get hungry and you're, you want to eat at your bedtime snack time, then you can have it then, you know? I like that. This is, this is a lot of really great information. What about a, a body image? I know you, especially in today's culture, there's a lot of emphasis on body image. And one of your pillars of your, of your book, Intuitive Eating, is about fostering a healthy body image in our children. How do we do that? Yes. Yeah, that pillar is to create a positive environment. And that's referring not just to creating a positive environment by the foods that we bring into the home, right? Because we know that what we see is what we want. So we want to make sure that we have plenty of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts, and seeds in our house so that that's our vision board for life. If you want to eat plants, you got to have plants around you, right? And so that's part of that. But the other part of creating a positive environment is what we consume with our ears and with our eyes the words that we're speaking. So there's something called fat talk that a lot of women, a lot of people, but particularly women engage in, in that we just love talking about how much we hate our bodies and the next diet we're going to go on. And this is so common that it's normalized and people don't even realize that they're doing it. But what happens is when we're like, oh, my thighs are so fat, I need to lose weight before the summertime is that we are conveying to children that the appearance and the size of their bodies is something that we highly value and that they probably need to highly value it too. And so this can lead to some disordered eating, especially depending on some kids' personality type. So watching out for the words that we're saying, making sure that they're positive. You can't say anything positive. Try not to say anything. Some people can't say anything positive yet because they are still struggling themselves with their own body image. But the best thing you can do is at least don't say it, you know, and then also the magazines you buy. I mean, a lot of us, I remember when I was really into my dieting days, I was, I would subscribe to all the magazines because I thought it would inspire me to lose weight. So I had the self and the shape and the weight watchers and all the magazines, which all have the same headline in the front, how to lose 10 pounds by summer, how to, you know, cut your calories, whatever. And so that 
message is being promoted over and over and over again. You should be dieting. You should be thinner. You won't be accepted unless you're thinner. This should be one of your goals in life is to be this certain size and shape. And like I said, some children are more susceptible to it than others, but it's better to just have an environment where that's not the focus. Body size is not the focus because the truth is that body size is very complex and there are so many things that go into it and we cannot control the size of our own bodies. We, we cannot control the size of our children's bodies, but what we can do is instill healthy, sustainable habits, eating our plant foods, moving our bodies, getting adequate sleep, managing our stress, connecting with others, avoiding risky substances. Those are things that we do have some control over as parents and families. You mentioned dieting. So did you used to diet before you found this? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I started dieting around eight or nine years of age. And I didn't stop dieting the first time <laughs> until right around when I discovered plant-based nutrition. For people that have been dieting and had disordered eating and poor body image as long as me, it's a bumpy road. You know, it's not like a smooth, straight sailing path. So I've struggled off and on. But I would say that discovering plant-based nutrition and understanding food a different way, before I discovered the power of plant-based foods and whole plant foods, I saw foods more as like calories, like you know, like calories and maybe nutrient based, like this food has calcium and this is a high calorie food. This is low calorie. Food. That's how I learned to see the world. But once I discovered whole plant foods and focused more on fiber and satiety and mm. just making meals that taste delicious and you're able to eat a large quantity of food because I'm a volume eater and feel good and it's not affecting you negatively like some of these other foods might, it, it's very liberating. So you can let go of some of that need to be counting and weighing and, and all of that. But it's a very complicated society that we live in. And even within our own community, even within the plant-based community, there's still a lot of disordered eating practices. So I think that it's one of those things that we're probably going to struggle with, but eating whole plant foods and the principles of sticking with the whole plants, choosing foods that are high in fiber, I think in general are good things to teach our children the benefits of that for their health and their well-being rather than focusing on, oh, and it'll keep you trim or it'll help you lose weight. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Now you used the word liberating and I love that word because I do, I find this is the most liberating way to eat where you, for the most part, you know, you're eating copious amounts of food. You you mentioned, I think that you said you, you know, you're <laughs> a volume eater. I love to eat, right? Huge volumes. And you can do it uh, in a way uh, because it's so calorie light and nutrient dense that, uh, and all the water and the fiber, it, it fills you up before you've had time to take in too many calories. So let me ask you this, where you are, where you're perched today, are you happy with your, your body and, and where you are? Yes, I am. And I will tell you that there was a time in my life where I had such intense self-loathing. Like it was so intense. Like I just hated myself and my body. And I can honestly say that I am decades older now. And there are some days that I definitely love my body. You're I don't think anybody's going to love their body every single day, but regardless, I just see my body in a completely different way. Most days I can at least see it in neutral and of, and a lot of days I can see all of the ways that my body supports me and all of the great things I can do. Like I've gotten into powerlifting recently. I'm really good at that. And so it's really fun to be like, you know what? I, I eat a hundred percent plants and I can you know, deadlift 255 pounds, you know, like, it's just like, so amazing that my body can do that. And I have that structure, that genetic structure and the advantage in my body that I'm able to enjoy those types of exercises. So I'm in a much better place than I was in my twenties and my early thirties. Well, I, I, in, in watching your Ted talk, I was like, whoa, you are, you are jacked. You're like, you, you look strong. And that was in 2019. I can't even imagine how strong you are now, especially if you've embraced the power lifting. Um, but so when you say 
self self-loathing, you know, um, can you tell me, just like, tell me a little bit, like, what does that look like and feel like? And, and how long did that last? It lasted decades. Like it started when I was really little single digits and it was mostly input from my family and society that I needed to be thinner, that I was eating too much and that I needed to control my intake so that my body would be thinner. And because it was really difficult to do that and I could never sustain that, I felt like a failure. I'm super successful in so many different ways in my life. Like straight A student, medical school, all of these things, you know, so much, so much success, but because I never felt like I could achieve that level of thinness that I feel like society reflects upon us. That is the ideal. I felt like I was flawed and that my body was ugly and that I, I was a failure. Like there was times where I was suicidal when I was younger, mostly because of my body. And I think that's the biggest waste. And that's why I'm so passionate about this because I don't want another child to feel like the purpose of their life is to be a certain size. People have so many talents. They have so much to give to the world. They have so much light and energy. I don't want them to be spending all that time counting calories or trying to get their bodies a certain size. Well, you know, here's the thing. It's that don't you feel in many ways that are the children of today with all of the processed and refined foods that are ev that's everywhere and because they're literally caught in the pleasure trap there are i mean they are going to be weighing way more than they should they're gonna then therefore have body image issues um it's almost like the it all goes hand in hand for example i have an, a friend who's a pediatrician in the boston area and he told me, and he works in a very uh, underprivileged part of town, and he said, Rip, it is crazy the number of patients that I see. He said, I saw 11 and 13-year-old brothers. The 11-year-old weighed 220, and the 13-year-old was in his high 300s. And they came in because they wanted breast reduction surgery. Boys. I mean, this is, this is crazy. Yes. Yes. But I will say too, because it, like I said, I'll say this so many times, it's such a complex issue and we have to be careful as healthcare providers, as loving citizens, that we are not engaging in weight stigma because with things like this, especially you have a child that's underprivileged, they may be a minority in lots of different ways, and they're getting stigma for a lot of different reasons. Studies show that stigma itself, the stress of stigma itself leads to weight gain because if somebody already has developed the habit of eating to cope with their emotions or eating to cope with scarcity because of you know, these recurrent bouts of food scarcity that happen from food insecurity, then they're just going to do it more when they're feeling stressed from the stigma. And it just creates a vicious cycle. So we need to be compassionate. And I think that the most important thing is we need to work on this from the top down, because it's not these children's fault that all they have access to is these ultra processed foods. Right now in the United States, our children in this country, 70% of their calories are coming from ultra processed foods, seven zero. The majority of their calories come from ultra processed foods and they're not the ones doing the grocery shopping. You know, they're not the ones that are putting it in the grocery stores and all the access. So this definitely has to come from the top down and we need to make some changes and we need to help families learn this information and we need to help them access these foods. And that's the only way we're going to be able to change this. But the weight stigma will only make it worse. It's only going to make this situation worse. Well, you know, there's a big, there's been a, a big, a couple days of big meetings in Washington, D.C. Uh, around, you know, nutrition and, you know, Eric Adams and Cory Booker and Neil Barnard and uh, Dr. Dean Ornish, a lot of, you know, people that are advocating for, you know, more plants. So ho hopefully um, we'll, we'll get something going there. Um, so, so you say, I mean, you say that, uh, 
it's probably not a good idea to put a child on a diet, especially, you know, for, for weight loss. Um, but I would assume that when you have a patient, a child that comes in and is overweight, you do put them on a whole food plant-based lifestyle. Is that correct? Well, one of the things I think is important to know is that there's children of all sizes eating ultra processed foods. So it's not just the larger bodied children. We are so biased in that we see a large body child and we're like, oh, okay, we need to make sure that they're, but there's plenty of children that are, you know, typical size within their charts, within their BMIs, that they're eating all ultra processed foods and they're constipated and they're having chronic abdominal pain and that kind of thing. So really it's the majority of children that I'm seeing that I'm counseling on. Let's eat more whole plant foods. Let's get the dairy out. Let's decrease the meat. Let's get more beans. I'm a bean pusher for sure. Like I feel like I'm talking, I'm pushing beans every single day. So these are conversations I have with everybody because we we need to help all the children. And with the larger body children too, there's some children that are just going to be larger bodied, even if they're eating whole plant foods all day long. It just is the truth. And, you know, there's a lot of complexities to body size, but for these children that are very far on the, you know, the curve, you know, that they're out, they're outliers. I think that we also have to take into account that there might be other issues there. And I know that there's not a lot of single gene problems that are causing, you know, extremely large body size, but there's, lots of different types of genetic issues and familiar issues that can lead to this extreme large body size. So eating a whole plant food diet may not be enough in order to arrest the development of some of these secondary conditions that are really what's going to decrease our health, which is going to be the diabetes and the high cholesterol and the hypertension and the heart disease. So there's definitely going to be a category of children that are going to need more intervention, but I still don't think that the right thing is to automatically put everybody on a diet and say, you need to eat this many calories and you need to restrict your food. But like we were saying before, when we're eating whole plant foods, especially if the majority of what we're eating is whole plant foods, that calorie density naturally drops. Children aren't feeling restricted. It's delicious. It gives them energy. They're sleeping better. And so it's a win, win, win situation. Yeah. Yeah. We're fans of that. Um, we have a lot of different parents that come to myself and my wife and they're like, I don't know how to, how have you guys done this with your kids? My kids are the pickiest eaters. I don't think I could ever get them to do this. I know you, you, you talk about this extensively. So what is your recommendation for, for picky eaters? The majority of parents would describe their children as picky eaters, especially between the ages of one and five. So it's very common. Like I said, children go through this phase where they have neophobia. So new foods, you know, what they think are weird looking foods they don't want. Okay. So that's very typical. But as humans, this includes adults as well as children. We only learn to like what we're exposed to. So it's a vicious cycle when parents are saying, my child is a picky eater, first of all, labeling them. And second of all, saying, oh, they'll never eat that and not giving them that. It's only going to get worse. You know what I'm saying? So I know it's difficult and I know it's anxiety provoking and it sounds counterintuitive, but the only way to get your child to accept a food is to keep offering the food without pressure. Remember that part I talked about, if we're forcing them, it backfires, right? So we have to keep preparing that food and don't be afraid to be creative. It's okay. You know, if they don't like broccoli steam, try broccoli roasted, try broccoli soup, try broccoli with a cashew cheesy dip. You know, you try all different ways without pressure, keep offering that child will eventually start to accept the food. And like I said before, it works for adults too. And adults need to be role models. So I have plenty of parents who admit I don't like vegetables. So you have to do the work yourself. You have to expose yourself to those foods, start eating those foods, prepare those foods, serve those foods and offer those foods. That's the only way that your child is going to accept it. What do you think is the best way for a parent to frame a conversation with their children about, Hey, you know what? We are going to start eating healthier yeah. in this household for this reason and this reason and this reason. Is there a way that you 
suggest parents navigate that conversation? And yeah. some of it will depend on the age of the child, of course. But if you have school age children, they're not tiny little kids, then it's fine to say that, you know, I've done some reading, I've read these books and watched these documentaries. And I realized that there are some foods we can be eating that will benefit our health, that they're good for how we feel, give us energy. They're going to be good for keeping our hearts healthy and keeping our brains healthy and helping us live a longer life. And I want to start including some of those foods in our meals and in our diet. So I'm going to start doing that. And depending on the age of the child, you can say, I'd love for you to help me. We can look at recipes together. We can go grocery shopping together. It's going to be fun. And position it more as a thing you're going to add rather than saying, we're going to stop eating all meat and drinking all, you know, milk and dairy. And, you know, like automatically people are like, ah, you know, <laughs> like what are we going to eat? You know, instead talk about the things you are going to eat. You know, I read how chickpeas are super high in fiber and there's so many things you can do with them. Is it okay if we try some roasted chickpeas and we could season them? What kind of seasoning do you think you would like? Do you think you want kind of like a, a Southwestern, like a taco flavor? You want to do like an Asian flavor and do teriyaki sauce? What would you like to try? You know, do it like that. And, and your brain opens up when you're presented with this positive addition rather than a subtraction. Uh-huh. Like it. Uh, let's pivot for a sec. So I have cooked Monday through Thursday. I am sick and tired of spending another second in the kitchen. I can't handle it. Kids, <laughs> get in the car. We're going to the bell. We're going to Taco Bell. <laughs> so tell me, I know you have a special place in your heart for Taco Bell. Please tell us why and how, how can you order healthy whole food plant-based at Taco Bell. <laughs> I love this. Okay, so my husband and I have been together since we were in college. And you know, in college, you're really broke. You don't have any money and you're up late studying. And we used to go like around midnight to Taco Bell and then we would argue. This was back in like 1999 when it was like 69 cents for a bean burrito. And we would argue about whose turn it was to pay like our total was like 250 or something for everything we bought. So we've always had this history with Taco Bell and my kids love Taco Bell. Now, I'm not going to say I endorse eating fast food all the time, every single night, but we live in the real world and we're real people. And like you said, sometimes we just get tired of cooking and we want to have some options, but it doesn't mean that when you eat fast food, you can't have some options that are going to be at least a little bit more health promoting than your standard burger and fries. So Taco Bell is actually very vegan friendly. Now they use a lot of oil and they use a lot of salt. Okay. So that's one thing to know. If you're not used to that, you're going to be swollen the next morning, but you know, their beans are plant-based and they have uh, lots of different things that you can do to change the order to make it 100% plant-based so that it doesn't have any animal products in it. And they're coming out with even more products now. So I actually have a video on my YouTube about how we usually order at Taco Bell and just getting the bean burritos, plain bean burritos with no cheese is a good option. And it's very filling and you know, the kids love it. But like I said, it's not it's not going to be an every single day sort of thing. It's probably not going to be as health promoting, but you know, whenever you need that eating out, we eat out once a week at my house. So we know that every Friday night, that's our routine. That's part of the way we do things. Um, that's one of the options that we could potentially have. So, so um, I love that. And I love it. That it was the bell. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been to Taco Bell and I've gotten just the bean burrito. Um, right. But what, what, so I watched your video right? It's a nine minute video. It was adorable, but you ordered the seven layer burrito, right? You ordered the bean burrito, a cheesy bean and rice burrito without the cheese, a crunch wrap Supreme and a power veggie bowl. I didn't even know they had power veggie bowls and you could do that. That was a thing. And the only thing in the power veggie bowl and the crunch wrap Supreme that, you know, wasn't really whole food plant-based were the potatoes, right? That were fried. But otherwise I was like, this is looks incredible. I'm headed to the bell. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> but 
You also, you know, you talk about some other restaurants. Tell me about Panda Express and also Wendy's because those are two places that I've been to, but not in years. And like, what's what? How can we do that? <laughs> well, I know that Panda Express recently tried. I think it was a Beyond. I think they called it Beyond Orange Chicken, and we have not gotten a chance to go try it yet because we've been so busy. But typically, what I order at Panda is basically just rice and veggies, and their veggies are really good. Yeah, they're yeah. fresh, like they make them right there, and they're like cut fresh and they're cooked fresh, and it's just such a good option, especially if you're traveling. That's one of the places I look for. And generally they'll have brown rice, but sometimes they don't. So you may have to opt for the white rice and just the veggies and that for sure will get you by. But besides that, most places, they don't have any other plant-based option. Like I said, they're testing out the Beyond Orange Chicken. And then in some states, they have some tofu stuff, but not in our state. So that's really all that's available here. I was at in the, I think it was the Charlotte airport recently. And uh, I just kind of walked through the Panda Express line and I saw they had a separate, like big old um, rice cooker and it was just brown rice. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you're right, you can get the brown rice and then they just had steamed broccoli and I think they had tofu. So that's cool. What about Wendy's? How do, what, how do, I, Wendy's, how do I handle Wendy's? Um, I don't go there as often, but they have baked potatoes there. So that's a really good option too, because we know how filling potatoes are. And I, you know, we've just been so mean to potatoes and, you know, I think potatoes have such a bad reputation now, but a baked potato is really, really filling. Only thing is you want to leave off the cheese and the sour cream and all of that stuff. Mm. But yeah, they have that available in a pinch that you can go get that at Wendy's. And then they, I think one thing I showed in the video too, was like a couple of salads that they had there as well. Mm. Hmm. Well, you've got me literally, I saw, watched that video and I'm like, I'm going to Taco Bell this weekend. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm gonna make it work. Yeah, yeah. It just jazzed me right up. Hey, we're, we're running out of time here, but let me ask you this before we, before we leave, what's your phobia uh, with whales? <laughs> oh my gosh. They're so beautiful, but they're so big. I yeah. mean, have you seen those videos where people are like kayaking yes. and then like, I think I would have a cardiac arrest if that happened to me, because I think it's just the massive size. Now I found the other day that there is and now I can't remember what it is, but there's actually a term for people that are afraid of large underwater creatures. So that's me. Like there's, this is a thing. I'm not the only one in the world, but yeah, I think they're beautiful. I'm glad they're there. I want to protect them and all that, but I don't necessarily want to be right next to one. Uh -huh. Yes. I think they're friendly. I think that they, you know, I haven't heard of too many whale attacks. Well, I'm sure <laughs> they are. I think it's just the massive size. It like literally makes me feel like I have tachycardia. I don't know. They're just so big. Well, let me, let me put you at ease, Dr. Yami, because you can't have a heart attack because you don't have the blockages. <laughs> it's not going to happen. You are such a champion of the whole food plant-based lifestyle that you are heart attack proof. It's true. Like my cholesterol has been well under 150 for at least a decade. So I probably will just have a vasovagal reaction and pass out and then wake up and the whale will be like with its eye looking at me and then I'll pass out again. And that's probably what'll happen. <laughs> um, oh, this has been so much fun. I, I want, I want to do this again sometime soon. Cause I got a lot of other things I'd love to throw your way, but before we leave, where can people find you? Do you have a handle on Instagram, your website, all that stuff? Yes. So social media, I'm at the Dr. Yami. I'm mostly active on Instagram. And then my podcast is Veggie Doctor Radio. And I'd love to have you on sometime, Riff. That would be such an honor. Love to have you. Of course, I said I've hosted your mom and sisters, and that was great. And my website is dryami.com. And then I also have veggiefitkids.com. And you can get to both of the websites from either website. So if you find one, you can find the other. And before we leave, I'd love to tell a quick story, if you don't mind. Hit me. Okay. So I have here <laughs> my engine two diet. And here is your signature. Oh my gosh. This is from 2014. This wow. is lovely. Okay, so this is my story. Where so did you get that though? Did, I did... got I got I don't remember. We were at a conference together somewhere. Wow. And you signed it. 
I love it. I love this book. And I just recently made the Raise the Roof Lasagna again this weekend because I knew that the podcast was coming up. And that is such a crowd pleaser. I always triple the recipe when I make mm, it because mm. we love it so much. But my story is my mom went plant-based about six months after I did. She did the PCRM app, the, now I forget what it's called, but the one where it just takes you through for the month. And so then she was plant-based after 20, that. Is that the 21 day jumpstart? Yeah, 21 day jumpstart. Thank you. Or yeah. kickstart. And, but my dad, he's more stubborn. So he's old school and it just, uh, no matter what I said, he just was resistant. And I really wanted to get them both on board, especially because my kids spend a lot of time with my parents and y'all were having an engine two retreat in Portland. Huh. And Dr. MacDougall was going to be there. He was one of the guest speakers. And I just knew if my dad heard from Dr. MacDougall that it would, it would click because it's that kind of, he's that kind of generation. He's the no nonsense kind of guy. So I actually said, I'm going to pay for y'all. I'm going to pay for your hotel. I'm going to pay for the entry. Can you please just go? And they both said, yes, they both came back. My dad was converted it was your engine to retreat and Dr. MacDougall that did the trick and it was the best money I ever spent. So that's my story. That's a great story. I love hearing stories like that. Um, man, thank you for all the great work you're doing and the passion that you're putting out to, um, to promote plants. And this is, this has been, this has been a great gift. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for all that you do. You're a fabulous podcast host and I love you and, your family and everything that y'all are doing too. So I'm always at your service if you need. Oh, thank you. All right. Will you hit me up with a little plant strong fist? All right. Boom. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. I love that Dr. Yami had the courage to not only follow her heart, but also follow what she felt was the right thing for her patients. And that really forced her to open her own private medical practice and health coaching business. You can learn more about all of her resources, including her book at dryami.com. That's spelled D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I. I'll be sure to put a link to that and more in the show notes on the episode page at planstrongpodcast.com. Until next time. Enjoy the change in the season, hug and support your kids, and always keep it plant strong. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Kryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.